Hi, this is Steve, and we're here to talk about the Quantum Entangled Sloop, Part 1. In Part 1, we'll be talking about sloops, a type of sailboat, and about sailing, and about quantum entanglement. And then in Part 2, a different episode, we'll be talking about the miraculous story of the quantum entangled sloop and look at some Bible verses and say our simple prayer. So here's part one of the quantum entangled sloop. So the first thing we have to talk about is what exactly is a sloop because most people don't know. Well it's a type of sailboat and a very old type of sailboat uh, it goes back at least to the 1600s. And according to the dictionary, which I looked up on uh, my iPhone, it's a type of boat, uh, wooden, uh, generally back in the day, always wooden, with a single mast, a good-sized boat, uh, say 20, 30, 40 feet long, uh, with a cargo compartment and a single mast and uh, two sails, one in front of the mast and the other behind the mast, and a very deep uh, keel board uh, to keep it stable in the water. They typically carry a crew of five, and they're beautiful boats, and I love sloops, and I love sailing. I've loved sailing since early in my childhood, like so many things in our lives, our love often begins with things that happened in childhood. And with sailing, we had some very wonderful and generous family friends who had uh, access to a lake in Massachusetts and who took us out uh, fairly often to be their guests on their beautiful lake. And the lady of the house was a very kind and generous person, and she liked sailing. And she had a small little one or two person sailboat, and I don't know the model or make of that sailboat, but it was a little wooden boat uh, with a single sail. And uh, we were out at the lake, and it was a beautiful summer day with a light breeze and crystal clear water, and you could see down into the depths of the water and wade in and the fish would come around and it was just beautiful and I was looking at the sailboat which was uh, moored near the dock and floating and bobbing in the gentle waves and uh, this wonderful lady asked me would I like to go sailing with her and I said sure I would love to go sailing and uh, so she took me out on this little sailboat and it's an experience that has stayed with me ever since. I'm still sailing. I still love sailing. And that's what started it, was this lady's kindness and generosity to me. And we sailed around, and she taught me how to look for the wind and how the boat reacted to the wind and how to position the boat to go this way or that way. Uh, how to go into the wind, how to go across the wind, how to run with the wind, which was a gentle breeze. Of course, the breezes uh, are not always so gentle, but uh, on that day they were. And I learned a little bit about 
sailing. But after those few idyllic treasured years in Massachusetts, uh, we moved into the Chicago area, and sailing left my life for quite a few years. Uh, But my interest in sailing did not. And sailing, and in particular uh, sloops, entered my life in 1966 with the Beach Boys. Uh, Those of us who are of a certain age uh, and lived through the 60s uh, still feel that the greatest music ever made was made during the early and mid-1960s. I'll even give the late 50s some credit too, but uh, such an amazing burst of creativity. Everybody had garage bands. I was in a garage band for a while. And just so much enthusiasm and interest in, in this new form of music, rock and roll. And the Beach Boys were one of my favorite bands. I, I just uh, was swept away with their music. It was just great. I just loved it. Uh, they had this uh, surfing lifestyle and uh, I dreamed of Southern California and everything about their music I thought was great. And then in 1966, they came up with a song called Sloop John B. And in research, I didn't realize it at the time, but in uh, going online and researching the history of that song, it's actually a very old uh, uh, song. It goes back to the 1600s in the Bahamas, uh, Nassau, Bahamas, where these sloops were used to ferry cargo around the various islands with their crew of five. And it was a hard and difficult life for the sailors, uh, sailing uh, back in the wooden sailing boat days was a tough, dangerous, uh, bad weather, pirates, uh, crashes, cruel masters, uh, you name it, all kinds of hardships for the sailors. So this uh, Bahamian folk song was the Sloop John B. about an actual sailing sloop in the Bahamas that had wrecked in the Bahamas near Nassau. And the wreck was discovered uh, many years later. And by 1916, the lyrics of the folk song were transcribed and published. And Carl Sandburg wrote a poem based on the lyrics and it entered the genre. And it was put to music and uh, the song sung by the Kingston Trio and by Johnny Cash and others, and then in 1966 by the Beach Boys. And they took this ancient folk song and arranged a beautiful melody, uh, beautiful harmonies, uh, and put into a very artistic arrangement this haunting story of the hardships of sailing, based, based on the true story from Uh, back in the 1600s in the Bahamas. I encourage you to take about four minutes and search online for the original promo video. Just uh, type in uh, Beach Boys uh, Sloop John B. Uh, 
promo video and listen to the original from the 1960s, the promo video, and pay particular attention to the ending of the song because there's a later version and in part two, I will refer you to the later version of this song and the very distinctive change in the ending that uh, has a bearing on our story. Fast forward to 1977. I met the lady, beautiful lady, who was to become my wife. Uh, her parents had a place on a lake in the Midwest, and on that lake they had sailing races with sunfish sailboats. A small one, maybe two people could crowd onto it, but generally uh, one person. Sailboats, and one of the guys on the lake took me under his wing and taught me how to sail a sunfish, which my wife, my wife by then I had actually purchased one herself, uh, but she didn't really take to it, but I did. And uh, so she gave it to me after we were married, and uh, I have uh, never looked back. Uh, always rode that sailboat at every opportunity, and with the skills I'd received from the guy on the lake, uh, participated in a few of the races and got busy with my career. But even during the many, many busy years of my career, always sailed on that sunfish whenever I got the chance. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I have very little, very little in common with Albert Einstein. Uh, but we do have uh, one thing in common, because Albert Einstein loved sailing, uh, just as I do. And he loved to sail by himself, and he would go out, and he found inspiration in sailing. Uh, here this genius who uh, many people don't realize actually took a very spiritual, almost mystical approach to life, uh, despite the many ups and downs in his own personal life, uh, he did have that view of the universe, and he found inspiration out on the sailboat by himself, uh, going back and forth, and feeling the forces of nature at play, and all combining in the harmony of the movement of the boat over the water. And, of course, there are Storms in life and storms out on the water, and I've always pretty much tried to avoid those in a small sunfish, although I have gone out in the, some pretty high winds when there wasn't any lightning and uh, enjoyed uh, with great exhilaration speeding over the waves and throwing up a pretty big wake for a sunfish. And uh, that's a lot of fun, can be a lot of fun. I've also had the experience, uh, have been blessed to have been a crewman on an iron ore boat in the Great Lakes. Uh, they call it a boat, but it's a thousand feet long. Uh, I carried oh, 20,000 tons of iron ore pellets. I've been on an ore boat crossing Lake Superior in a storm with high winds, uh, looking down the deck of the ore boat. Uh, flexing up and down, visibly bending the tremendous thousand-foot-long hull of the boat up and down and up and down with the waves. 
And this was uh, not too long after the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which sank with all hands in Lake Superior. Uh, very uh, sobering thing to consider. And the uh, tragedy of uh, that, uh, the crew and all of their families uh, will never be forgotten. There's another haunting song about that, of course, by uh, Gordon Lightfoot, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which uh, I also encourage you to uh, look up online and listen to. But storms come and storms go, and at times the heavens open up. On two occasions, I had some very awesome experiences out on Lake Superior on the oar boat. Uh, one was in bright blue daylight, a fresh breeze, uh, no land in sight on this magnificent inland freshwater sea. Uh, when a snowy uh, snowy owl, a great huge white bird from the Arctic north, landed on the deck to take a rest from flying across the vast expanse of water and sat looking around on the steel deck of the oar boat and not too far from us uh, lowly crewmen on the boat and eventually took off and flew away. And the other crystal clear memory I have is getting up in the middle of the night. I was invited uh, by one of the officers on the boat to come up and see what it looked like up in the uh, uh, command center uh, of the boat. And it was the middle of the night, and the heavens in the black velvet sky overhead were just dazzling with the Milky Way and the stars uh, spread from horizon to horizon and it was a still quiet night the water just flat very unusual for Lake Superior flat and reflecting the skies so the uh, oar boat seemed to plow through the outer space stars above stars below uh, so awesome, I, I didn't want to go back to bed, but um, eventually I did. Okay, so we've talked about my love of sailing, we've talked about sloops, but what about quantum entanglement? What exactly is quantum entanglement? Well, quantum entanglement is a prediction which has been proven by experimental physics and arises out of the theory of quantum physics. I'm certainly no physicist, uh, nor am I a scientist, but I love science, and I have a great curiosity about all things scientific, about exploring the natural world, and I find great inspiration and beauty in science. And one of the most amazing things to me about science is working on the fringes of what's known and unknown. And quantum physics is right out there on the edge of things because quantum physics is, explores aspects of physical reality that are normally occur only at the subatomic level. Uh, but the mathematics 
which I don't understand. I cannot do any mathematical equations. It's way over my head. But the scientists tell us that uh, the mathematics show that quantum effects uh, can also occur on the uh, level of our normal, ordinary reality with big objects, big things. And the mathematical chances are very slim, but that can occur. So what types of things occur in quantum physics that do not occur in normal reality? Well, there, there are a number of things, uh, but one of the most intriguing is that the presence or absence of an observer can change physical reality. There's a famous thought experiment originated by physicist Erwin Schrodinger in 1935 in a conversation with Albert Einstein in which he imagined a cat placed in a sealed box with a vial of poison and the vial of poison could be opened by the occurrence of a subatomic particle decay that had a 50-50 chance of occurring. But from the outside of the box, which is a black box and nobody can see in, there's no way to see in, is the cat alive or dead? Well, believe it or not, the mathematics prove that the cat exists in two states inside the box, alive and dead at the same time until an observer opens the box and looks in to see if the cat's alive or dead, at which time the cat will... Uh, appear to the observer, and the observer will influence the reality that's observed by science in nature. And you can you can research all this yourself. I encourage you to do so. Uh, I'm just giving you a short summary of my understanding of quantum physics. Many other amazing aspects to it. They do experiments where they generate uh, two identical subatomic particles and send them through some equipment and on their way, and, and uh, then they travel many light years across the universe and separated by many light years from one another. Uh, so information can only go at the speed of light in normal times, but the experiments have proven that if uh, an observer looks at one of those particles to determine what state it's in, what state of spin this subatomic particle is in, uh, because uh, these subatomic particles have two states of spin. And if uh, half of them have one state and half of them have the other state, so if an observer looks at one of these and says, oh, it's a positive spin, instantly, across light years of space, the other one becomes a negative particle. So again, the observer has influenced the state of the universe. Uh, why? Why is this? Now I raise one thing about science that I don't like uh, because I very much admire the scientific method, but one thing I don't like about science is that it excludes the presence of God. Uh, it insists on... Uh, a secular view, basically, so many scientists, not all, by, by no means all scientists, but so many take a purely secular view and exclude the presence of God. And to me, the very key issue 
in all of this is the explanation of the nature of consciousness. The human brain, we think with our brains. We think with our brains, but where does the consciousness arise from? Scientists will tell us that the brain generates consciousness. In other words, most scientists take the position that consciousness arises from an operation of matter, which is organized in certain special ways and generates consciousness in the brain. However, every scientific article I've ever read, and I read, I have read for many years extensively in popular science magazines, uh, many different publications, uh, all have agreed that scientists simply do not understand the nature of consciousness. Nobody can explain where it comes from or how it arises, if, it, if it's caused by the brain mechanically, how does that occur? Really, nobody has any idea at this time. But quantum physics and quantum entanglement, as we've discussed above, clearly involve the impact of human consciousness, a human observer, upon the physical reality observable by scientists in the universe. It's beyond a doubt proven by scientific experiment that consciousness impacts matter and energy in the universe because is Albert Einstein pointed out in his famous equation, E equals mc squared, energy equals the speed of light uh, squared, uh, that uh, matter is equivalent to energy. And as in the uh, nuclear weapons, atomic bombs uh, work because they convert uh, almost instantly matter into pure energy, uh, releasing a tremendous explosion. So I believe it's a reasonable hypothesis for scientists to study whether basically God exists, whether consciousness created the universe with all of the matter and energy it contains. So now we've discussed an overview of my love of sailing, of sloops, and of quantum entanglement. My comments, especially on quantum entanglement, have obviously been just a brief overview based upon my personal study and reading over many years, but I do want to do more about quantum physics, quantum entanglement, the science, all aspects of science. I'm very, very interested in science. And I do have plans to address the one of the big, most public disputes between uh, believers in God and secularists who uh, believe only in science, and that is the creation story, uh, the seven days of creation in the Bible, and whether the Bible uh, is, is true as viewed by science. I do want to get into that controversial issue. That, that's for a different time, a different episodes so off in the future. Right now, I just wanted to give an introduction of quantum physics as it serves as a background for the story of the quantum entangled sloop. I hope you've enjoyed this part one and look forward to seeing you in part two.
at which time we will hear the miraculous story of the quantum entangled sloop, and we will read some Bible verses that pertain, and we'll do our simple prayer. Until then, look forward to seeing you soon.